You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 106. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And check us out at codingblocks.net. We can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. And with that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Jay Zizzle. <laughs> well, how do I follow up that? <laughs> You're M Sizzle? <laughs> no, that's not going to work. I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference. What sets the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference apart is that it is the only conference that focuses exclusively on software architecture and the evolution of that role. This conference is in the weeds with tech and cover complex topics from microservices to domain-driven design. It features different styles of learning from 50-minute sessions to two-day training courses. The O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference also focuses on soft skills. O'Reilly knows that architects are having to communicate complex technical topics and their merit compassionately to both upper management and technical teams. This conference can help you navigate different communication styles, like in the Architectural Elevator course. O'Reilly knows how siloed software architecture can feel. At the conference, you'll have countless networking opportunities so that you can meet people who are working on the same tech as you and offer personal experience and learnings that you can apply to your own work. Many of the attendees are either aspiring software architects or doing the work of a software architect without the title. The conference offers a special networking experience called Architectural Katas, where you get to practice being software architects. Attendees break up into small groups and then work together on a project that needs development. Visit O'ReillySACon.com slash blocks. That's O'ReillySACon slash blocks to sign up. And listeners to this show can get 20% off most passes to the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference when you use code BLOCKS20 during registration. That's B-L-O-C-K-S-2-0. And that's O'Reilly, the letters S-A, con. All right. So in this particular episode, we are going to continue with the Pragmatic Programmer. So we got another four-hour episode here for you, or actually, oh, hopefully I- not. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to continue on that. But before we do so, we like to give a shout out and thanks to those who took the time to leave us some reviews. Yep. So from iTunes, we have Minimally Viable Pacemaker. And Dude Scott. And in Stitcher, we have Brian P. So thank you for all those who took the time to go up there and leave us a review. And if you haven't already but would like to, head to www.codingblocks.net slash review. And you'll have all kinds of links there to take you to Stitcher or iTunes or wherever your platform of choice is. And we greatly appreciate them and get a good giggle out of most of them. So. Yeah, I was just thinking how uh, minimally, minimally viable pacemaker mentioned that uh, our attention span was similar to theirs. So I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I'll take it. <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to mention quickly, I'm going to be talking uh, about Jamstack in May and one t- at OneTug, which is our Orlando.net group. So if you're in an area, you should come by and uh, attempt to kick me in the shins. Good luck. Very nice. And then it sounds like on June 24th, I'll be giving the Kafka presentation at the Intelligent Devices Meetup at the Microsoft campus there in Alpharetta. So if you would like to learn some more about Kafka, come on over. And 
I've also got potentially a talk happening at Connect Tech. I don't know. It's still in new status. Nobody's reviewed it. So I have no idea what's going on, but there might be something going on there. You, if you're around the Atlanta area, you got to check this talk out because everyone who saw it at Orlando Co- Camp was shook. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I do, man. <laughs> was that from the sugar high they got from it? <laughs> I, think so. I think that's what it was. I, I definitely had a method to uh, to try and get people interested in going. So, uh, I, I, What was the method? Give them all diabetes? <laughs> <as part of> that. <laughs> <laughs> that way they sit there with the shakes the whole time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh, so boy. here we go. We are jumping into chapter two of the pragmatic programmer. And the funny thing is, I didn't realize this until Outlaw said this just a little while ago, is chapters one and two are like a third of the book. So, you know, there's a reason why the first episode was so long. We're actually splitting this one up a little bit better so that, so that it doesn't go as long, but these chapters are pretty beefy. So, um, this one's called a pragmatic approach. And the first topic are evils of duplication. Oh, yeah. Real quick though, I want to interject one nice thing about duplication. Uh, sometimes, uh, it results in consistency. So like if we give away a book on the second episode, Sorry, that was a terrible segue. I was trying to, I was trying to make that very cool. <laughs> I see oh, what you did there. <laughs> if you leave a comment on this episode, uh, you're likely to win a book, maybe. Yeah, I like the, I like what you did there. It, it took a little <laughs> sideways start on me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I dumped it on the ground. Yep, great. Yep, so leave a comment, potentially win a book. There you go. Now, on to the evils of duplication. Yep. Uh, it, it, before we jump into this, and this is why our episodes are so long, because we just take these sideways. <laughs> so long. We haven't even said the first thing, and we're going to go ahead and go sideways. Do we remember, I think it was in clean architecture, to where they said that duplication isn't always bad, right? Right. So we're, we're about to completely contradict that in another in another context here, but, you know, if there was you're like, – What was it? It was like accidental duplication – or like um, duplication that, the that you word. think is duplication, but it it changes for different reasons. Yes, yes. So Coincidentally you, duplicated. Yes. So it wasn't the two things were actually the same. They just happen to have the same implementation right now. And so when you try to make these things do similar, when they when they need to diverge, you can think, you can start getting ugly. So they really emphasize that you should try to break things down by purpose. Right. But I wanted to mention too. <laughs> Number three before we get to the first item, but they're the 20th anniversary edition of Fragmented Program has been released since uh, recording or not released. It's going to be released. It's been announced uh, May 8th. There's going to be a beta that starts. And uh, so I'll be interested to see what they have to say about this approach, because I think especially with microservices, people, the, the way people have kind of thought about duplicated code is kind of changed in the last couple of years. And so, you know, we, we kind of picked a little fun last time at some of the things that uh, they mentioned in other chapters that seemed a little old school. And I'm curious to see if uh, this is one of the things that changes. So, you know, we'll be getting updated copies of the book and looking through the things that change. So stick around. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, to the, to the point of the duplication of layers that you brought up, it was all about the layers, right? Like you could straight up have one layer that, that is responsible for talking to the database. The other layer is responsible for talking to the UI. Basically the same implementations, but at some point in time, one of those might change. You don't want them both to have to change. So yeah, uh, it, it's, at any rate, now we should probably jump into this book. So now we're going to talk about the programmatic programmer. Yes, there we go. And the evils of duplication. That hurt my brain. Which one? <laughs> the only constant is change. 
as we all know, we've heard that a thousand times. Uh, one point that you really emphasize is that we spend a large part of our time in maintenance mode. And I think unless you're like very lucky, I think that's very much true. You definitely spend much more time reading code and maintaining code than you do originally writing that greenfield code. Well, you're actually being nice about it by just saying it's a large part of the time. They actually say we're constantly in maintenance mode. Yeah, they, yeah, they do. They say, yeah, right from the get go, like even like the, from the first line of code, you're kind of in maintenance because how often do you like come out of the gate knowing exactly what you want everything to look like and exactly what's going to, going to do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that never happens for me. Yeah. And that, that was a key point, right? Like the first day you start writing code and then you, you talk to somebody and the requirements change. And so you're already going back and revisiting what you already did because assumptions were wrong or, or, or maybe the business requirements changed, right? Well, they summed that up great too. Cause they just say that knowledge isn't stable. Right. Which I never, yeah. I never thought of it in that kind of wording. Like, you know, you never think about knowledge as like stable. Cause like when you talk about stability, it's like, okay, is this software stable? Is this server stable? Does it handle the load or whatever? And now you're like, Oh, knowledge, it's not stable. And it's like, yeah, I guess it can fall on its face too. Yeah. I mean, when you think about, about the purpose of a business, typically it's to make money, right? And so the needs of that business is going to change a lot. Well, hopefully Wait a it's minute. to make What money. business is in the business of not making money? Uh, not um, for profit. Thing. <laughs> well, like those are businesses. Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, and Google. <laughs> well, they apparently Tesla doesn't care about making money. What? They uh, all yeah. make money. Uh, man, Don't they lost fooled. what? Like, Don't two, be fooled. $200 million this last quarter. Anyways, um, it, but yet their stock price keep right. It, 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 how does, how did, I think we should start a business <laughs> and sell some stocks and just lose money constantly. And the yeah. price of our stocks will just keep going up. I don't, I don't understand it. Anyways. Um, I think the trick is to make something while you lose the money. Yeah. Yeah. So fair enough. So you spend the money and then some to make something there. that doesn't recover your cost. I think we let's make an electric yeah, car. And the trick is, is if you do it a billion times, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, See, you get the rewards because like it's economies of scale, right? Anybody, you, yeah. Anybody wants to join in on this business plan? We've got it mapped out. So let's go to Ponzi Dev <laughs> <laughs> donation box right there. <laughs> we need to set up a subscription service for it, man. We have gone straight off the rails. All right, let's, let's, let's talk yes. about how easy it is to duplicate knowledge. How yes. about that? Yes. Oh, um, yeah. So in the documentation, yes, yeah. And the true. specification. As soon as you write documentation, like uh, a lot of times you see, like Java docs or anything, like as soon as you write a line describing what that method or line does, then you've duplicated that item twice. Now it's in the code and it's in the documentation. Yep. Let the diverging begin. Which is an interesting thing because I never considered, uh, like when you, when we talk about dry, like how, how many times have we talked about dry on this show, right? Few. Never once. That I can recall, have we ever referred to it as it relates to like comments or documentation? Yeah, right. Uh, it's and it's really weird, but if you think about it, it's true. It's absolutely a form of duplication. But but it's if, like, how extreme do you get now? Right. I was going to say, in fairness, you typically have to have some form of documentation if you're providing a product or an API or something that somebody's going to consume. You have to give that at least some level of documentation for the end user or developer, right? So that's not. We'll quite come back fair. to it. We'll yeah. come back to it. Yeah, but yeah, they they do stress dry here, which is we <laughs> to again, an extreme. We've talked about it, and they say don't repeat yourself. Right, that's the dry principle. Um, 
And and they say I actually like this the way that they phrase this in the book was every piece of knowledge should have a single unambiguous representation within the system. And that's 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 a really good way of putting that in my opinion. Yeah, it fits nicely with like the, the solid principles that the clean books really really push. Makes sense. Uh, they've got a, a notion here too that repeating knowledge in your code means that it's not a question of if you'll forget or if those things will drift. It's when, and that's I definitely agree with that. As uh, I tend to write a lot of wiki articles, man, I hate when I spend a lot of time on a wiki and then some little thing changes and it's not updated and the whole thing is like practically worthless. And it, like it, even if it's eighty percent, eighty five, ninety five percent correct. Even though, like across the whole wiki, as soon as one person hits that first stumbling block and like this hasn't been updated, they immediately distrust the whole thing. Yeah, you're still too nice though, Joe, because you you say it's like it's not a it's a question of when, but oh, I guess you did kind of say it like it's not a question of if you'll forget, but when. But yeah, okay, yeah. fine. Because they're definitely making a point that like, hey, you're going to forget. You will. Yeah, and oh, and no. even if you don't forget, somebody else will. Well, the right? next developer who comes behind you and has to maintain it, you know, when you move on to some other bigger project. I mean, we've got real life experiences with this, and and this goes back to clean code. Like they said, one of the code smells is if you see a bunch of case statements, right? If you see a case statement with a bunch of switches, a lot of times that will find itself into multiple files in your code, right? Oh, yeah. It's not the OO approach to something. You're no longer leveraging an object to do something, right? And so you have this the switch statement everywhere. Well, guess what? That will get forgotten. Right. It, there's no question. If yeah. you're switching on a type somewhere, oh, well, I didn't realize it was over here in that project as well or in that, that CS file. So yeah, it, it, it just, it comes with a level of maintenance that you will forget and it will cause bugs and you'll have no way of knowing that. I'm pretty sure it was one of the clean code books where uh, I'm pretty sure it was Uncle Bob that said that the only place that you should use a switch statement, the only place it should be allowed is in a factory. In a factory. Yep. Yep, that's exactly what he said. No other, no other class or method should use it except for a factory class or method. Yep. And one of the things I did want to point out here is the authors felt so strongly about the dry principle is that they even called it out in this section and said, hey, this is one of the most important tools in a developer's toolkit and one of the more, most important principles in this book. Like they said, it's a big deal to them and they repeat it a lot. <laughs> Which is funny. They don't repeat themselves, but they do. So anyways. Yeah. yeah. Although I will say I was a little disappointed in this chapter because so many of – yeah, I guess this chapter. So many of the stories in the first section, like they had cool little examples and stuff. And so that the the one on dry just didn't have like a cool little fox character or, you know, you some, get to some hear parable about, or study about you know, bo- boiling some wild animal. Right. Well, yeah, you, so I kept waiting for it. I'm like, wait, where, where is? I thought all these were really cool. I've got my spoon. Where's the soup? I think the world of pain from dealing with these kind of problems just kind of takes it out of your soul, and and they yeah. just wanted to get through this piece. Well, I mean, they did talk about it uh, in this part where they were talking about like even for the for the purposes of publishing the book, for making the book, like they practiced the do not repeat principle as part of the book. Like the making of the book. I bet they spent a lot of time doing that, too. It, it, quite honestly, it, it was probably not a challenge. And we'll get into some of the reasons. Well, now you why. understand when you go back through, like, what was it, the forward or the preface, where they, like, mention all the different so- open source technologies that they used to make the book. And you're like, what would you need all that for just to write a book? And then you're yeah. like, oh, I get it. Right, right. These are my people. 
So yeah, here it is. This book was produced using latex, pick, pearl, divips, ghost view, eye spell, GNU make, CVS, Emacs, Xemacs, EGCS, GCC, Java, eye contract, and small Eiffel. Wow. Using bash and Z shell shells under Linux. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'd list the tools when I wrote a book. I don't know yeah. that I've ever read a list of tools when I've read a book. Right? No. Uh, that was crazy. That's why that's why it stood out in my mind. And I was like, why 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 did you need all of that? <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. So one of the important things to know is how does duplication happen? And they had four kind of key things that we'll dive into. One was called imposed, basically, and we've all been through this. Programmers feel like they don't have a choice, right? Like <laughs> you gotta duplicate it because you don't have the time or whatever it is. Um well, and it, go. But if you don't have the time, then that would just be like one of the other ones, right? Uh, if we skip ahead to impatient, I don't know. I don't know that impatient falls in there. As I, I don't know, we'll, we'll cover it. Um, the inadvertent, you, inadvertent, you didn't realize you were doing it. The impatient, which was more lazy. I don't know. So lazy was you just don't feel like refactoring something. I don't know that it was necessarily a time pressure type deal. So I, I don't know. That's where we can get into that one in a minute and enter developer. Like when you have teams of people working on something and so you don't realize you're duplicating something because, you know, outlaws writing the same thing that Joe's writing that Alan's writing. Well, this is why I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like harping specifically on the imposed one because, uh, like the other three inadvertent, impatient and enter developer, like all made sense to me, but imposed, they don't, it's not specifically a time crunch that you're under. It's just, that the developers feel they don't have a choice right. and that the environment seems to require duplication. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm still, even now as we talk now, I'm trying to like mentally map that to an example of like, what do you mean? Like what? So imagine uh, if you had like a, a firm, like su- a server team and a firm UI team, and you knew that the UI did some logic that now you need down in the server, but you don't feel like you've got the authority to make them change their code to just pull their stuff from the server so they both happen on the server, which is the quote-unquote right answer. So you just end up reduplicating the, the logic down on the server because you don't have the ability to make them change theirs and you don't feel like you have a choice. Okay. I guess I just haven't worked in that kind of environment though. But okay, I, I see where you're coming at it. Where it's like <clears throat> where you have like specific teams that are split up and, you know, nobody's full stack that can make that call. Yeah. And we'll even, we'll even get into some of the things that they say is sort of imposed uh, by choices that you really can't control at all either. Um, But let's, let's jump into it. So some of the possible causes of imposed duplication and some of the possible solutions. So they kind of start off in like a random order. Like they start off with some of the solutions, then they go into some of the problems or what causes it. And then they go back into more solutions. So, so bear with us here. We didn't organize it. (laughs) So, um, one of the ones that I thought was kind of interesting and I really like this one and, and I wish it was done more is using code generators to build code from some common set of metadata. I like yeah, that. you know, I tend to one-off script stuff, but I don't really set up like <laughs> firm generators that often. Like those times, like I'll have some data and I'll use like a SQL script or a quick PowerShell script to like generate classes or some basic stuff. But definitely like an entity framework kind of example. Yep. But yeah. then that's where it like kind of dies. Like ORM type examples come to mind, like super easy, like done often. Mm-hmm. You know, for for code generators. 
outside of that? I'm trying to think for yeah. examples. I mean, one of the points that they made about that was it's not a one-off type thing, right? So th- something like an ORM is a good example, I think, to where – you know, if you make a change to a database, you're probably going to run your generator again to create your classes or whatever. That's a good example of constant code generation so that you're not duplicating your efforts, right? Like you didn't go create a table and now you're going to have to go write some boilerplate class on the side. You run your generator and it goes. And, and I agree. I think that's one. I mean, um, I, I know I've definitely done things where I'll write like things based off the database to try and create, you know, other things for me. But a lot of times people end up do writing a lot of boilerplate code because they don't know better. They don't have the tooling to do it. I, I don't know. I don't know the right answer. I mean, I definitely, okay, let me, let me put it to you. Let me put it like this. I definitely conceptually like this idea, right? Because you get consistency it from your, your code, Right. Like if, if, like, for example, let's say that we lived in a world where uh, maybe we treat our database as a source of truth. And so any changes to the database, we have a generator that'll go and write out new classes for the C-sharp layer. And it'll also write out, maybe we have something similar in our JavaScript layer, right? So our UI layer that might have to, you know, get these objects from the C sharp layer so that they're like, you know, consistent communication. Right. So I kind of like that because now you have consistency in what's happening and, and maybe that buys you some compile time checking too. It also feels like it kind of goes against some of the onion architecture or even uncle Bob's like clean architecture approach though. Like depending on how far you were to take that, like, especially when I mentioned the JavaScript, because, because now you're, I mean, maybe it's okay, but You're intermixing your dependencies a little bit, but you could, you could abstract those. I think the part that jumped out to me that was a little bit more, uh, sideways on that was, I mean, if you think about a form, right? It, 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 let's say that you just have some simple form, like, like our, our newsletter that you could sign up for, right? So you have a name field, you have an email field, and then it's pretty simple, right? So if you think about in terms of your data storage, you're going to have an email and a name field. And then in your C sharp layer, you're probably going to have some sort of DAO or, or, you know, data object that's going to be name, email, whatever. And then on your UI, you're also, you're going to have the physical representation of those fields and then a submit button, right? So it makes sense to be able to generate that stuff. But this is where another set of podcasts that we did has me not liking that as much. And it's the domain driven design thing. And this is the part that always bugs me. Of all the books that we've done, that one was probably the most painful to read, in my opinion. Like, it was really hard. But the concepts in it were so good to me. Mm-hmm. And that, no, the you're writing code to address a business case, right? You're not... You're not writing code to mimic a database. You're not writing code to mimic how you think about code. You're writing code to solve a business problem and code generators can't do that for you. Right. They don't encapsulate that, right? Like it's easy to say, okay, take the fields from the database, generate a C sharp file, generate a, a JS file. But all you're doing is passing along the data storage. You're not passing along business knowledge. And that, that kind of bugs me. So, so I love the generator and at the same time, I'm kind of like, eh. Except, can I put an asterisk on please, that? Please, please. 
Because, <clears throat> I mean, definitely skipping ahead here, but uh, later on in the book, uh, we'll, and we'll oh, so dive deeper into this. You're cheating. No. I, I haven't just, got there yet. <laughs> I, that, well, that's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but but later on, they do talk about um, creating your own language. Mm, okay. Which, if you remember back, uh, well, Robert L. Reed, I believe was his name, we, we did the series on how to be a programmer. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yeah, that series? I do. And one of the things that he had said was you should like when like when you become an advanced programmer is like when you create your own language. And so they they talk about this idea of creating your own uh, language that could be used that's in the domain. Hmm. Right. And you could eventually make that into code. So if you combine the two ideas of the generator and this mini language, then Maybe you could also generate code that is like that. It kind of reminds me of, um, do you remember, uh, I, I mean, it's in a variety of different names, but uh, like, I think it's Specflow, Cucumber. Yep. yep. Um, what, there was another one too. I want to say Pickle, but that's not it. Um, <laughs> Name your random <laughs> vegetable. We'll get there. Well, yeah, Pickle something totally different in Python, but uh, it was Cucumber.js, if I remember right, Specflow in C Sharp. And I feel like there was another name for it, but... Uh, in another language, and I, I can't remember it, but basically, where the idea was that you were you're writing your, it was mostly for test cases, yep. but you could write the you could write them in more of like a you know pseudo business language kind of speak, and then that would get interpreted as the actual code for the unit test itself. Yep, yep, it does remind me of that, and and it's probably possible to do that, to create your own language to do it. But I mean, you're talking about. Uh, an extra layer of complexity there, you know, for doing it, but it, it would probably be a, a killer thing. But I guess that, that was my point though, is like the code generators just using it for something like EF just exposes your storage engine all the way through your stack. Well, again, if you keep it isolated though, to just that, that one layer, right? Well, the EF code generator would create your C sharp, but if you have a generator that then just mimics a form on your JS, then you're, yeah. you're kind of trickling it down through every, yeah, every part of your stack. That's where I was thinking it would be gross. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah I want to mention uh, a couple things. So um, DSLs, domain-specific languages, they don't have to be like English, NLP type stuff. They could be like really simple, basic commands. Like sometimes if you've got a couple commands that can, users can kind of compose in a way, then you can kind of open up those tools and let them do those few basic commands. And as long as you support those, then that's a lot easier than trying to kind of if else for loop your way through solving some problems. So it can be really nice and it doesn't have to be complicated. I also wanted to mention that um, language support has gotten a lot better for um, like things like uh, Link is what I'm thinking of on generics and C Sharp. So a lot of things we have to used to have to use code generators for has gotten a lot easier because now we can just take a you know angle brackets T, and as long as that T meets the constraints that whatever we need to do in that function, then we can do that stuff without generating all these classes. And then we let the kind of compiler do its generation for us. That was it. Very nice. Sorry, I was so I, I had another tip that just hit me and I had to put it down in the notes. So. Oh, no worries. Okay, so so going back to the duplication then, I mean we kind of already mentioned this one, but duplication in code, right? So, you know, you can you can break the drive principle. The documentation. Oh, wait, what did I say? Duplication. Oh, yeah. It's still duplication, but yes, the duplication of the documentation <laughs> the duplication in your code. code. <laughs> wow, that probably made a lot of sense. <laughs> So yeah, the documentation in code. So your comments and stuff, right? 
I picked a heck of a day to quit drinking. Uh, <laughs> no, <just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they mentioned that bad code requires a lot of documentation. And uh, I, that's something I agree with. As I've mentioned before, like usually when I'm doing comments is because I'm like either excusing bad behavior that I know is bad or else I'm, you know, I, I guess that's my main reason for doing it. It's like, this is something bad. I know, but it's not worth changing right now for whatever reason. Don't hate me. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we, we've shared this story before. Like I got a screenshot from my buddy, Will after, I had left the company and he sent me a picture of my comment where I was like, I have no idea how you get here. <laughs> oh yeah. That was still one of my favorites. Uh, I mean, th- this was interesting though. Like, and I brought this up to you guys. Um, uh, it, it may, you might not have even realized it was in reference to this, to this portion of the book, but uh, in our day jobs, because <clears throat> there was some code that I was working in and I just kind of was following the, you ever you ever notice like sometimes you'll work in a code base that maybe you didn't create, right? And whatever the established pattern is for doing things, it's like, well, now I need to add some code to it or modify some code to it. And you're like, well, right or wrong, I'm going to like follow suit, right? <clears throat> and so in this particular set of code, uh, method, like functions were, you know, had comments about like, uh, what the function did, what the returns, uh, the arguments, you know, regardless of didn't matter, you know, if it was obvious or not, or how big the function is, like every one of them were, uh, were commented on. Right. And, um, so, you know, then I, then I was reading this, like after adding some new functions to it and I'm like, well, there was a statement in here that like really they really hit home with me because it was like okay the dry principle tells us to keep the low level knowledge in the code yep right where it belongs and reserve comments for hot, for other high level explanations and so the way i interpreted that then was like oh so for pr- like privates for example or internal kind of functions that you don't intend to be used elsewhere um you shouldn't be commenting on those. Like you shouldn't have whatever your equivalent of this happened to be in Python, but like if you're thinking C sharp and you have the summary documentation, like whatever that, whatever that type of documentation is called in your language of choice, then you shouldn't have it. If it's a private level function, like the, the function itself by its names, if you're following everything that uncle Bob has ever taught you and what this book is teaching you, then it should be self-explanatory enough to not need to comment on it. Agreed. And the, and, and the comments that you do put on your code, if you're going to put comments on the code, it should be those things that are going to be the public interfaces to the outside world. Yep. I fully agree with all that. Okay. I got to go make a pull request. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw here they mentioned um, possibly generating code from your documentation. So I remember uh, when I went to school in like the whenever 60s. Um, felt like it. They would talk. Uh, they were talking a lot about UML, and I didn't know at the time, but that that ship had already kind of sailed. But they were talking about UML being the future, and how people were going to draw like, diagrams, and it was going to generate all your code for you, and it was going to be wonderful. Didn't really pan out that way, but I did think um, we've come a long way towards generating really good documentation from the code, and uh, it just reminded me of a, like one of my favorite recent uh, query languages or uh, DSLs rather, uh, GraphQL. That's a generated language based on whatever you're kind of feeding it. It's type safe and it generates really nice documentation and it's strict. So like you can't make a lot of mistakes with it. You know, it'll, it'll catch you, but at the same time, it is actually generated code. So it's a pretty neat example of something that's a, a DSL that you kind of generate and help build. 
And I just thought it was kind of cool. You know, you say that, and I'm also wondering, like, too, now, I'm thinking, and I'm like, you know, uh, I wonder if Swagger or Swashbuckle for .NET would also count, if you've ever used those, where it, like, auto-documents your API. Have you ever, do you, you refer, you, do you recall what I'm talking about? I do. The, the package yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah, as long as you comment your public, uh, your public methods, then it'll create the documentation that people can see in the UI. Well, I don't mean, I, when I say auto-documenting, I don't mean necessarily the summary documentation be included, but I just mean like it gives the user an interface to where you'll see like, here's an API, here's what it takes, and you could test it and everything like right from another interface, mm-hmm. right? Because just like with the GraphQL example that Joe's talking about, right? Like it doesn't give you documentation per se, right? Yeah. You just generate your documentation and then the only stuff that you as human do is fill in lots of examples, tons of examples in your documentation. Man, you know what? I just tweeted about this the other day because I, man, but, oh, living in the Kafka world is so frustrating. <laughs> Actually, I'd say Java in general, and maybe this is just completely wrong to bash, Uh-oh. but, Here we but, go. <laughs> man, I feel like I, I think honestly what it is is I'm spoiled by Microsoft documentation because what I feel like they do a really good job of and my and part of it might just be because they've open sourced it and there's a lot of people like us that'll go do pull requests to it or Steve Ardalis like he's constantly in there updating their docs but if I go to a method it's not because I want to see the signature of the method right I could see that in my IDE <laughs> show me how it's used like oh. I get so mad when I go to some documentation that a company's written, Confluent, and there's there's no example. Like and the and the summary information on the page is so basic that it's like you added zero value. As a matter of fact, you added negative value because you've now wasted ten minutes of my day. And now I'm angry about it because now I've got to go look up a stack overflow and hope yes. that it's not out of date. Like, or closed. I'm, I'm so angry about this still. Like I'm getting hot thinking about it. I've spent so many hours in this land of no examples now that I'm like, man. Oh God, I can't wait for my turn. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think, I think I'm done. Like I'm still mad about it. When I tweeted it the other day, I was ticked off and there were a lot of people that are like hearting it. And they're like, yes, yes, this. We uh, just talked about this, uh, maybe yesterday or the day before. Like, cause so, okay, Confluent is your example. For me, it's Docker documentation. Oh, right. like the Docker documentation. It's so there's, it's, there's a lot of it. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot of it. But you still read and you're like, what? <laughs> like, if you just gave me like one, maybe two different examples, it would have explained a lot more than all of the other. You just used 10,000 words and I'm still like, what? Yeah, yeah. There's there's like 800 flags that you can pass into it and they'll show you examples of two of them. <laughs> yeah. And never like, here's when to use this one versus when to use that one and why you need that one, but not this other one. And oh, these other three, well, you're only going to need those on days that end in, or that start with a T. Yeah. And you're like, but why, why is that even important? Like, uh, yeah. Don't you love it when they God. stuff? It'll be like host name string. And you're like, does that include the protocol? Does it right. not? Let me like search around. Does it, do I put the port there? Is there another? Okay. I, I looked for the word port. But it's actually um, source PRT or something stupid. And you're like, oh, okay, that's why I didn't find it. I didn't know there was a separate <laughs> spot for it. 
Yeah. Man, I swear to you. I, I think as have, like, we're not new to this game, right? Like, we've been doing this stuff a long time. And to this day, I, like, I would rather you give me a piece of code I can copy and paste and say, Oh, let me form this to what I need to do. Then give me all the documentation in the world that still gives me no clue of how it works. Because right. like, let's be honest, like the flag stuff that we're talking about. And this, this also drives me crazy with Linux. And then I'll get off my soapbox is anytime you ask for Linux help anywhere on the internet, you get RTFM, right? <laughs> and that makes me want to destroy their computer, my computer and the internet completely. <laughs> and the reason is, is because when you say, you know, um, dash dash man or whatever to go to the freaking manual page. There's 5,000 flags on the page. Oh, but you can only use some of them in conjunction with others. What combination of flags makes this thing work, right? Like, oh man. I mean, this yeah, is like, all similar. Okay, sorry. Oh, this is all similar to one of the comments that's made here, which isn't, it's not quite where you're, you and I are talking about it, but it's kind of in the same similar vein where it's like untrustworthy comments are worse than no comments at all, right? So like if you provide documentation, but it doesn't, you know, it's not, you know, no examples or whatever, right? Then it's in the similar kind of vein, right? But yeah. Where are you, and, you? Oh. Oh, sorry. You no, no, I was just going to complain about curl. Oh, please do. Please do. Hey, we, we're not done complaining. Go ahead. You, you haven't gotten in on the complaint train here. So <laughs> no, no, I was gonna rail. I was gonna, I'll just tell you about the things I was going to complain about, and then I won't have to do it. But um, inconsistent flag names. Sometimes it's capital. Sometimes it's lowercase. Different commands using different flags for different things. Uh, everything's strings. Uh, you know. Uh, anyway. Yes. Yes. All those things. But... We were talking, you guys mentioned like generating your documentation from your code, but this whole point is about generating your code from the documentation. Yeah. Which flips it on its head. Which goes back to the spec flow thing. And that's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like if you could truly generate code based off documentation, which by the way, this book was written back when UML and rational rows and all that stuff was a big thing. So that's probably why they were driving here because in theory, it's a great idea. Apparently it never really worked out that well in practice, you know, because, <laughs> yep. because here we are 20 years later. And uh, uh, so here's my request, Andrew Hunt or David Thomas, if you are listening and you can hook us up with the beta uh, <laughs> that was just released, uh, you That'd know, be great. That would email be comments at coding blocks. There we go. <laughs> Um, so getting back to the thing that you said earlier, like what, you know, I don't really understand the imposed. This one was interesting because this was a real world example of where you have no choice. So in languages like C, C++ and Pascal, they require that you have a separate header file and a separate implementation file, right? And so you have duplication that you absolutely cannot avoid because that's the construct of the languages. So, you know, that that to me isn't as bad, right? Like, you know that the language forces that, whatever. You just do it. Now, they did say, and I thought this was really important, don't put the same comment in both places, right? If you have a header declaration, don't put the same comment on there that you do in the implementation one because what if you change what the implementation's doing or what if, you know, something, and the, that comment's not going to get updated and now you have lies in your code again. Yeah, well, they actually, like, took it even a step further there, right? It was like, you know, put the public facing documentation in the implementation or in the, in the header file, but the nitty gritty details that, that, that another developer coming behind you to maintain it might need to know in the implementation. So kind of have double comments for the same thing, but you know, 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's frustrating. All right, so I page five. A couple comments, a couple common causes of inadvertent duplication, possible solutions. Uh, accidental denormalization of data. You have the same attribute in multiple layers that are related. We talked about the JavaScript server side thing. That's what they're talking about there. And they mentioned this can happen when there are things with uh, mutually dependent items. So they use a, a line object with two points and a length attribute. And this is kind of like the, um, you ever heard that square rectangle problem? Or you change to and the other, yeah, the, anyway, uh, that's a whole another <laughs> segue, but we, we've talked about it before, so I'll skip it. But the idea with the, the line example is like you have X, a uh, start, a point and an end point and then the length. But if you change the start or the length, and then it has an effect on the other. I said that all wrong. Oh my gosh. You did say that all wrong. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Just someone save me. <laughs> well, well, let's get back to the accidental denormalization of data. Cause I thought this one was really good. They used a delivery truck and a delivery route as an example. And on the delivery truck, there's a driver on the delivery route. There's also a driver. And they said, well, what if somebody calls in sick one day? Now you have this driver that's both in the truck and the route. And it, it was an ax. It was an unintentional denormalization of data. So maybe the truck never has a driver. Why does it have to, right? Or, or, or maybe the route doesn't. You pick one, but, but that was the accidental denormalization because you, you look at it and as things change, do you have to change it in both spots? What does it mean if you don't? So, um, that one was interesting. Now, what he was saying about the points, the, <laughs> this one was kind of, I thought Good luck. This, one, this is impossible to explain, basically. Actually, I didn't think this one was that bad. <laughs> you butchered it really well. Uh, so, so the point of this one was all about the data storage. And we've talked about this in the past with, with encapsulation, right? So in the first example, they had, you know, l- let's say a rectangle. You had two points uh, or, or, well, it was or a line. line. I would do it was the line. line. There was a start line. and an end, right? There was, there was two points and then there was a length. Well, the problem was what they had for the length was it was just a uh, a variable that had just you know another property a on it, yeah, right. And so what they're saying is, what you've kind of done here is you've set this thing up to where the length is truly dependent on those two points. So that means that if you change a point, then that length should update. And by just making it a value that that anybody can willy nilly update, then you've kind of screwed up here because now you've you've created this disconnect between your attributes on your class. And what they said a better way to approach this is, is you have your two points and then your length is nothing more than a calculation. So get length would actually say, hey, give me the 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 difference in the XYs and all that kind of stuff. And then that way it's a calculated member. I don't know if I count that as duplication as much as I just would consider it like bad design though. Well, yeah. maybe, but then they get into the fact that maybe it's not bad design. Maybe it's purposeful design. And that's if, let's say, let's say that it's something more expensive than a simple XY, yeah. you know, calculation. This is something that actually requires some compute power. Then you might choose to cache that thing. So at that point, it makes sense to make it not a calculated member. But you build in some some sort of caching layer behind it, right? So you have a private variable that maybe is your long that you're storing, but then the actual git will say, hey, has that thing been set or not? If it hasn't, then go ahead and run the calculation. If it has, then just retrieve that value. Well, yeah, it's a really interesting because there's three approaches that we just ran over there like quickly. Like first was the, the worst one where you've got a start and a line. They're all individually settable and then things get out of sync. The second one was like, oh, just have the the size be a uh, derived property, 
And so whatever the changes in the starter end will automatically be reflected. And now we're saying, well, actually, if you've got performance issues you're concerned about, a smarter way of doing this would be to move the brains to when the starter end changes and then have the only property that's ever actually, or, you know, just dumbly stored is the actual length. Uh, I just thought it was kind of funny to go through three totally different ways of saying it. And I think the last one was probably the best overall. It's just kind of funny to think about those things changing in the implementation. They make the point though of saying that like when you're going to, when you choose to, to violate dry because of these performance reasons, the trick is to localize the impact, right? So like in your example that you gave, like you're trying to localize it by some accessor that would say like, Hey, have I already made this calculation? If I haven't, then fine, I'll calculate it and return it. Or in Joe's example, he was saying like, Hey, did one of these things change? If they haven't changed, then I already know what it is. Otherwise I need to recalculate it. Yep. And, and what they say is with the, uh, the localizing or probably as other people know it, encapsulation is don't expose that length property itself. Right. Right. So you have your get accessor, like he's saying, but nobody has direct access to that length property. Now it's kind of weird in a language like C sharp where we have the syntactic sugar to where, you know, you probably wouldn't even create like, Oh my God, that's another thing about Java. For better or for huh. worse. Like, if you have a bunch of member variables, then you're going to have gets and sets for all of them, basically, right? Like, that's just sort of the construct. Auto properties. Yes. So we have auto properties in C sharp. So you might have length, but your get implementation would do this stuff for you, right? So even though when you say, Hey, you know, my, my line dot length. You're not actually accessing the underlying thing. It's calling a get method for you. So, you know, there's some pretty things that happen for you in the C sharp world, but it's the same concept of encapsulating that. Yeah, they they do call out that like where possible, always use accessor functions to read and write the attributes. And I so like that, that way you can make changes. So if you decide later you want to make a caching change, for example, like in your example, right, you can easily introduce that change without it being a huge refactoring effort because now you know, if before, if everything was just like, let's say you're in Java and everything was just directly calling a property on the object and now you change it to being a method that needs to be called. Well, now you got to go and find all of those places, change the signature to be a method call instead. It just becomes a big hassle. You know, you know, what's funny about that is I actually did a video on this. It was public variables versus pl- public properties. And, and it's interesting. I'll leave a link in the show notes here, but. It, the whole point of it was exposing a public variable. Like what they're saying is you, if you ever need to refactor that kind of stuff out, it's sort of a bit of a pain. Whereas if you always do it as a public property instead of a public variable, you have these like basically interfaces that you can work with. Right. And you can abstract those things away. And, and another thing too, is when you have a public variable, anybody can do what they want to. Right. If it's a public property, then you can actually, you can lock down the gets and the sets to private members or whatever. Like there's a lot of features you can add to it. So anyways, I thought that oh, was. You know, recently, uh, sorry. No, go ahead. Recently, I just found out that uh, if you have a uh, public property or any sort of property and you specify the get, but you never specify the set. Have you ever seen that where it's property yeah. get in C sharp? Mm-hmm. No set. It just means you have to set it in the constructor. Yep. But what I really like about it is that if you forget to set it in the constructor, you'll actually get a, a error about it. It's like, this will never be set. It's not going to compile. I just thought that was a cool way of saying you can only set this for one place. So it's immutable. And also if you make a mistake, you're protected. So it just seemed like a really nice uh, bit of C sharp sugar. I don't know when they slipped that in, but it was nice. That is good. 
This episode is sponsored by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products our customers love. While designed to be developer first, the UI is simple and intuitive enough for all teams to enjoy using. Clubhouse is truly built for developers by developers. And you can tell because they've done things like sprinkling Git tips throughout the UI and they make a point to highlight open source projects that integrate with them. And they're constantly adding new features. So just recently, they added new features to where search operators now auto-populate uh, in the navigational search bar as you're try- trying to type along there. They've added Sentry integrations. Now you can automatically resolve linked Sentry issues all from within Clubhouse. With a simple API and a robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use every day, like Slack or GitHub, for example, getting out of your way so you can focus on delivering quality software on time. Sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash coding blocks. Again, that's clubhouse.io slash coding blocks to get your two free months and see why companies like Elastic, Full Story, and Launch Darkly love Clubhouse. All right. So it's that time of the show where we do ask you if you haven't already and you would like to give back to us and put a smile on our face and, and, you know, put a smile on your face. Uh, please do leave us a review. Head up to codingblocks.net slash review. And we have links to Stitcher, iTunes, and maybe some other things there. But, you know, quick links to where if you want to just drop us a little note and say, hey, you know, you guys made my day or you put a smile on our face or you helped me, you know, that would be awesome and definitely appreciate it. So please do take the time to do that. And we, as always, we we do appreciate it. And if you leave a creative name on there, we will read it on the show. <laughs> So, oh yes. God. thank you to all who have done it. Also, so we may miss and we may mispronounce it on purpose, <laughs> depending on what it is. We have definitely had to do that Wait or put pauses. I could have this whole time. I could have been saying I did it on purpose. <laughs> then that's what I definitely did. That's right. Strategic yeah. pauses might have happened if I ever got it wrong. That was that was on purpose. Uh, all right. So with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says, all right, <clears throat> so uh, back a few episodes ago in 103, we asked, what is your favorite cloud provider? And your choices were Amazon AWS, baby, the original gangsta of cloud providers, or Microsoft Azure. Remember when they called it Windows <laughs> Azure? Awkward. Google Cloud, because I also need them to know how I cloud. Or IBM Cloud. I'm all about the business. Rackspace Cloud. Big enough to be a big deal, small enough to care. Or, I just love some of these, by the way. Linode. You gotta love that pricing. Or Vulture. Bare metal for bare prices. Or DigitalOcean. A refreshing droplet. And lastly, other, because how did you not know about my dog's groomer's dad's side cloud business? <laughs> All right. I think Alan went first last time. So, Joe, I'm going to give it to you. You go first. Which one? Oh, my gosh. So, I'm still laughing over here. We need to edit like a laugh track in or something. Like, this is just too good. This is gold. <laughs> a laugh these, track. Are, these are awesome. I don't these want a laugh track. I want genuine laughter. Laugh tracks always sound fake. 
Uh, Man, you could like you could take these like seven or eight, nine bullet points and work them into like a ten minute comedy routine, and it would kill. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm gonna go uh, uh, oof, uh, AWS. AWS. Okay. What percentage? Yeah. Uh, with thirty. Three. Thirty-three point <laughs> <Yep>. two two <laughs> six. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not dealing with fractions. Uh, AWS thirty-three. All right, Alan. All right. So depending on what he chose here, I was going the other one, not because I have any strong feelings or opinions, um, but just because I want to win. So I'm going Microsoft Azure. Okay. And I will go thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Three. 30 30 <laughs> all right, all right. I, I like the way you did that all right so aws 33 for joe and azure at 30 for alan <laughs> drum roll please oh god now there's the comedy routine well i gotta ask for that more often <laughs> All right. Well, I'm actually surprised that no one, neither of you bothered to uh, say Google. Like, that didn't come up. But, uh, yeah, Joe, Alan won. Really? Yeah. Really? Yep. It's because it, it's of net. I don't know, man. I, I got I to agree with Joe on this one. You think I, so? I think that I think that has a large influence on it. What, what was the percentage? Were we up in the 50s? Uh, it was like 43%. Okay. That's pretty high. Yeah. Oh, yeah. AWS was definitely number two then. What was it at? You'd also be wrong. Really? Yeah. No. No. This one was super surprising. Uh, Rackspace? No, IBM? No. DigitalOcean. Digital it was DigitalOcean. Wow. All right. What was yeah. the percentage there? Rock off. Well, DigitalOcean and Amazon were like neck and neck. So it was like 16 and 15. That's really low. Yeah. The, like far and away, Azure was the clear winner everything else was you know not not far not far apart from one another opinion uh-huh. based here i will say azure has the more pleasant experience through their portal oh compared yeah. to the aws console yeah man <laughs> yeah like <laughs> uh, opinion here if aws bought a tld for aws and offered us two million dollars to change the domain name I would change it to cuttingblocks.aws. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, if, if you're Jeff, if you're out there, yes, if you're on the Warner. team Route 66 and you want to provide us some money, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Cuttingblocks.aws. Cuttingblocks Oz, baby. Yeah. Hey. Well, I mean, they'll have to pry away codingblocks.js from our cold dead hands, though. First, right? That's right. Yeah, Cuttingblocks Oz. This is like the the pictures for each episode. Oh. So, Maybe we should just register. Like, should that be a thing? Should we register a coding blocks domain for every language so there'd be like a coding blocks.py, a coding blocks.java, a coding blocks.js? Some are expensive. <laughs> I know, man. It's like 70 bucks. Yeah, that is pretty. That's pricey, really. Dot radio or dot FM? Forget about it. Hundreds. Really? Yeah. All right. Now I got to. Is radio still the a thing? Here. Radio killed the video store. What killed the radio store? Oh. I don't think they call it radio anymore. They just call it podcasting. Uh, that's true. Yeah. I heart radio. All right. So for today's survey, or I should better say for this episode's survey, uh, we ask, why don't you go to conferences? And 
for the astute listener, you will recall that this is a follow-up from episode 102 where Alan was like, hey, we should ask, why don't you go to conferences? Guess what I wrote down? (laughs) So so we're asking, why don't you go to conferences? And your choices are too expensive. Got to think about that ROI. Or too far. I could finish an entire Coding Blocks podcast just getting there. That was a long drive. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That one kind of hurts to write. I'm not going to lie. That one wins. I'm going to be upset. (laughs) Or what about both of the above? Oh, that's this option. And lastly, but I do go to conferences. Why can't I participate in the survey? (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. You visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. You can try it yourself today by starting a free 14-day trial and you can get a free Datadog t-shirt when you create your first dashboard. Head to www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to see how Datadog can provide real-time visibility into your application. Again, visit www.datadog.com slash coding blocks and sign up today. All right. So the uh, the next thing is the uh, impatient the the potential causes and the solutions of impatient duplication. And and I had to put this quote in here because huh. oh man, I felt this so many times today. <laughs> and the last oh you highlighted it. That's so amazing. So the quote is shortcuts make for long delays. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. It's so true. <laughs> oh. I love it when we find something like written in black and white. There's like Oh my God. Just so succinctly, they just summed up my life. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's what I run into. I feel like so often, right? It, and it's so hard too. like trying to explain this to upper management is, is what virtually impossible. Like seriously. I mean, everybody, everybody is in, has their own challenges, right? So, so, you know, higher levels, they're trying to just focus on like, well, Hey, we need to make money, right? Like I, that, that's all great what you're saying. That's nice. But at the end of the day, nobody cares about that. But meanwhile, you're like, but I got to support it. Right. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. You're like, I don't care, kid. Tears a quarter. Go away. You know, the worst part is it's not even just for delays. I mean, th- this statement so is true, but also the shortcuts come back to bite you in the long run. So you might not have delayed the release of the product, but you're going to introduce pains you know, either for your customer or maintenance or whatever. Like it's just, it's amazing how those little things that you didn't take the time to do come back to bite you somehow. Well, let me put that another way. The delay could be how, how long, how, how long it's delayed until you get to do it the quote right way. Yeah, that's true too. Right. Like how, how long before you get to fix it? Yep. And, and the more you keep delaying that, the more you keep, uh, not paying that debt. Yep. It incurs a higher penalty. Although I'll tell you, man, if there isn't somebody saying no, I will never ship. So a lot of times I'm the one who's saying no to myself. That's so but. true too. <laughs> no, it's not perfect, my precious. 
So somebody needs to make a Gollum meme of Joe. <laughs> uh, Kick me in the shins, my precious. Oh, that was creepy, man. That was really good. Uh, so this one's funny because we've all done this. We've seen it a million times using the same literal in multiple spots, right? Like you'll find yourself plugging in, I don't know, 3,600 for, you know, uh, a minute, oh. right? For 3,600 seconds or no, no, wait, what am I thinking? Uh, yes. Oh man, everyone hates when I do. Uh, it's I'll, an, I'll hour. Do math yeah. an hour math, an hour code. Yeah, an an hour, and so yeah, you'll you'll be writing thirty six hundred all over the place, and you're like, wait a second, come on, man, let's let's create a string literal for this thing and just use it, right? Change it in one spot. Yeah, exactly. It it, it makes life a whole lot easier. Ain't but why make that. anyone do the math? Why don't you just put the equation there? Sixty times sixty. That's that's a CPU. That's a before. CPU cycle, man. You can't do that. Come on. <laughs> but you. I mean, but, why does everyone hate that? It's so nice. Man, but we, it's not any better though. To to Alan's point there, right? Like oh, you're no, still like, better. what's this magic math formula? Like, like why did you need this? Oh, yeah, I, I mean, see. If you're I setting see a time thirty-six hundred or sixty by sixty, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, but in fairness, this whole uh, code duplication thing, I think we can all think of one place. Where modularizing your code does not help you that much. Anybody? Wait, database. Wait, say, the say, database. Look, oh, yes, right. it almost Sequel. always bites you instead of helps you. So I'm surprised that nobody was going to jump on my like one hour timeout. Yeah, the 3600. <laughs> like using it's that as legit. A timeout. Never mind. I slipped that one in, and you guys let it go. So cool. There are times. Uh, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I think um, you ever like you know the five whys you ever hear that you keep asking why. So if you ever like type in 3600, you're like, well, why didn't you use the variable? Well, I don't have a variable. Why didn't you make a variable? Because there's no good spot for me to put a variable. Why don't you make a good spot for you to put a variable? Well, we don't really have a good place for that. We're like, okay, that's the problem to solve. You don't have a good solid place for settings that are accessible. That's a, a worthy problem of solving. Figure that out now. Otherwise, you're going to be putting literals all over the place. Oh, that's that's actually a really good point. Like, I don't know that I'd ever thought about it. It's funny because I'm the one who brought up the example of 3600. But why not just have a, a constants file like they did in the good old VB days where you've got, you know, one hour in seconds? Um, you know, well, what assemblies go in? Say what? Assembly wars, man. The assembly wars oh, are real. Right. Anytime you have to ask, like, well, where should we put it? What, what assembly? As soon as you get like two or three people on that question, man, whoo. No, you don't ask anybody. You just do it. <laughs> yeah, I, was just, I, I immediately thought of like dumping grounds when, as soon as you said it, because I was like, oh my God, now you're going to have like a constants assembly that's going to be a dumping ground for all global constants. Yeah. That, that's going to be in the utilities of utilities assembly. It would have to be like very uh, rigid, you know, like, hey, it needs to be truly global a global like constant. i don't want to have to calculate 60 times 60 to get an hour right and i don't want to have a hard code i want to have a string representation for it right yeah what do you do um <laughs> the next one uh the copying pasting source code from a standard implementation and tweaking it we've all seen this right like stack <laughs> yeah, never, would be never out of business if you didn't do this <laughs> <laughs> that's stack overflows business model right well, there well, that's fine if you're doing it from stack <laughs> overflow to your code it's the problem when you're in one method in your code and you do it to the second method right uh, okay yeah that's yeah. it rolls so easily off the fingers though you're like oh i did this something like this over here let me just go see oh yeah i just got to change the connection string or you know whatever it is i got to tweak this one line right and and to their point and this is uh did, 
is this it's further down, so I shouldn't say this yet. No, go ahead. I'm gonna say it anyways. This is where something like the strategy pattern or the template method pattern or or anything like that can come into play, right? Because oh, okay, well most of the block is the same, so let me have a starting point, a middle point, and an and an exit point, right? And then that way you can tweak that thing however you want and just the little bit of the algorithm changes for you. Or or not even that, like just refactor and have like, you know, the common parts, you know, as as reusable methods. Yeah. That, that, too. that it shares. Yep. I mean, you don't have to take it to like a template pattern if it, That's doesn't, a good point. If it doesn't need it. Yeah. But I'll tell you though, some of the stuff when if you start like going down this rabbit hole sometimes, it can get really gnarly. So like the example I just said where the connection strings were like you can take an example and just change it where you get the connection string from. I'm sure we've all seen code where someone like had two places they were getting connection strings and they said, Oh, I'm gonna make a factory. And so now whenever you need to do a query, you have to use this weirdo class that somebody created for the connection string. And then we got to, oh, and you want to log something. Oh, well, I don't want to just act directly access my logger because that's the code duplication. So we do that. But next thing you know, it's like you can't type a stupid line of code without going to look and see how everyone else is doing it yeah. because everything is some custom little factory rather than using the language built-in stuff that everyone is kind of just standard. And so you've kind of built this whole little fragile architecture where every little thing you want to do, it's like, oh, I'm going to add two numbers together. Well, better use the add whatever function because – Built one of those. I don't want to do that twice. And so you get to this, this monster of tangled code that gets actually worse just because you keep adding lines of code for things that really aren't conceptually significant. You know, I think though, I think though, and this might be getting into another part of this whole situation though, is that where it comes to you have too many people working in the same code base? Well, I don't know because this one, this one kind of hits close to home for me and I'm kind of a little hurt. Like, I got to say your ad function because, like. because just today I did write some code for dealing with the connection string where I was like, you know, <laughs> I have the use for a connection string in multiple places. And sometimes I need it a little bit different than others, but most of the time I want it to be mostly the same. And so I'm going to write something to deal with this for me <laughs> to make it easier for me. And now Joe's picking on me. So <laughs> he was watching over your shoulder. You apparently. didn't know uh, but you know, like you know, it's like I'm sure you've. I know we've seen code bases where you're like, oh, all I got to do is change a label, and you go in there to change a label on a website, and you're like, oh wait, all the labels come from XML files, but there's like a three tier XML system with like these like translation layers and like language stuff in between. So like when it gets down to it, it's like, oh, actually, this changing one thing from like note to warning. Uh, is now taking me 17 modified files and you know four hours, six hours, eight hours of time. Because it was all, it was too uh, overly architected. Okay, so now we're going backwards though. Because like, if it was used, if it was based off a of document, uh, the XML, right? Then that's like a meta language to describe it that you could then like build your code on, generate your code from, right? So now yep. it's almost making the question of like the example that you just gave, like, well, is that previous section that we just talked about the docu- uh you know, generating your code from metadata like that, like maybe is that an outdated? Thing, because remember, like you pointed out, Alan, like this book was originally written in like 2000, I think. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, sure. At that time, like XML was much more popular than it is today. You know, like, do you think that it, do you think that that is now an outdated? No, I think code generation still makes sense, but there, there are things like what he's saying though, where, some things are just overly complex, right? They they shouldn't be that way. And I think there's a difference, right? Like the code generation thing, like I said, I don't think it ever came to fruition in terms of writing 
like UML to, to write your code. However, that doesn't mean that I think that code generation is not a thing, right? Like T4 templates, I think are fantastic. Yeah. But those are very specific and very isolated use cases though. Right. So now, so now we're, we're talking about just, I mean, a T4 isn't going to generate the code for your entire application. It's just right. going to generate a part right. the bits as it interacts with like the database. Right. And what they're talking about here is like generation for the code period. They're yeah. not making such a, a narrow specification. I mean, I mean, you guys remember back in the days they were all called 4GL languages, right? That mm-hmm. that you could basically generate an entire application based off something. Man, everybody that I ever knew that worked with those things hated them, right? Because they did some things super well, but then anything outside of that, you you were basically trying to hack apart whatever it generated to to inject what you needed it to do. All right. Well, you've convinced me then that the doc. Generating your code then from the metadata now is now an outdated concept. And so <laughs> sometimes it's really nice. So there's definitely been times where I've looked at XML files and project where like, oh, okay, all I have to do is change here and I don't have to change any code. That's awesome. It's like data that's informing that my architecture. That's great. And there's other times that I saw an like XML project and wanted to jump out of windows like, oh no, this is not right. Yeah. It depends on how it was implemented, right? How it was all wired up is really what it boils down to. Okay. So here's the, here's the request, dear listener. If you feel like I feel that this isn't now become an outdated recommendation, then uh, on this episode's show notes, leave a, uh, you know, a discuss comment, leave a comment letting me know that you agree. And if you don't agree, then uh, don't bother leaving a comment. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, either way, either way, leave a comment either way. Uh, but definitely, like, I'll, I want to hear, I want to hear examples, like current examples where generating your code, not just a part of the application either. I mean, the application from some other, you know, documentation or some other mini language that you're using, be it, you know, like a UML or something to generate the entire application. I don't know I'll, that we'll get very much where people say they're doing it. Anyway. I'm curious to hear that, hear that example. Like where does that, you know, in modern day, where does that fall? And by the way, that'll be codingblocks.net slash episode 106. Yeah. And, and we actually got a, a question in email the other day about commenting on our stuff. You don't have to have a discuss uh, login. You can log in with Twitter, discuss Facebook, I think even Google. I think those are the ones that you can log in with. So any of those accounts, you can log in and, and do something. So you don't have to go set up anything. It's one of the reasons why I use the platform. They just made it really easy to leave comments. So, you know, heads up there. Hey, one last thing, though, before we move on off of uh, impatient duplication, though, they do make the point to saying, like, this is an easy form to detect and handle. And if you just think about, like, everything that we just described, right, like, Oh, I've already got a method that's like this and I only need to change one thing. Like, like immediately in your mind, you, you can think like, Oh, I'm, I'm duplicating it. Right. Like you can detect it immediately in real time. Yeah. You, you might still do it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a hard one to see is, is the right. point. It take a little bit of time. The boy scout rule, I think is how outlaws always talked about it is leave it better than what you came. Right. Like, or, or at least as nice as it was when you came. So, uh, so we've gone from the easiest. And now let's go to one that they say is possibly the hardest type of, du- of duplication to detect and handle, which is inter-developer duplication. Yeah, man. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, duplication doesn't mean line by line 
semicolon by semicolon duplication. It could also be logical duplication. So we're doing the same thing in two different ways. And that's even worse than copy pasting because it's harder to find. Like with copy paste, when you know it's happening, you can search for it. You can find those patterns. If everyone does things a little bit differently and inconsistently, then that's a real problem. And I see that a lot in SQL sometimes because uh, if you are doing a lot of stuff, it's like sort procedures or in views or whatever. Then for performance reasons, you've got to move stuff around. So you can't just search for one easy clause because someone's using an alias over here because aliases are terrible. Someone else is using a different alias. So you can't search that way. Sometimes it's in the join. Sometimes it's in the where. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, alias the column names, for God's sake. I mean, I, I just had this exact same, this exact example happen. And uh, to me, w- working in a rather large database schema, and I needed to, like millions, millions of rows, and I needed to go ahead and pre-compute some columns. So I thought, okay, you know what? Uh, the easy thing for me to do here will be I can just take the one-time hit do a big generation, uh, you know, I'll create another table that to can store this, this, these pre-computed values, create that table, take the one time hit to, to populate it and amazing things can then follow on. Right. And then, you know, weeks go by, several, many, many, several weeks go by and someone else happens to notice and they're like, Hey, wait a minute. I created a, this other table that's extremely similar to the problem that you have. Did you know that mine was there? Because I didn't know that yours was there. And I'm like, well, no, how? No, I didn't know. You know, and it was, it's exactly this kind of thing. And, you know, because they, they're similar problems, but, uh, you know, to your point, they're not the name the same thing. They don't have the same exact structure, but they solve similar problems. And that's why it's so difficult to detect. Yep. The, the uh, example they gave in the book that, that I just had to share on this one was, so when the year 2K, or the, the Y2K audits went around in the government applications, they found 10,000 applications that, that needed to be looked at. And each of them had their own social security validation. So this was a thing where, you know, Hey, there weren't, there weren't any shared libraries. There were 10,000 individual apps written and a bunch of duplication. And that's yeah. really hard to manage. And, and, and it's hard to know about because it's not like all these developers were sitting in one room writing these 10,000 apps, right? So so can we solve this? How can we solve it? Is it solvable? Hey, no. can you imagine if those people work on those 10,000 apps so across years, times, locations? They're like, hey, wait, you know what? Uh, I need to uh, validate SSN here. Can we get everybody on the call here real quick and figure <laughs> out if someone's done this already? Oh, man. That's like, awesome. uh, no. Yeah, so the how to solve thing, this one's man, this one's so hard and and I agree with and disagree with some of these, but like one is a clear overall vision. So, yes, you should have that. Does it solve the problem? Uh, you know, mm. this is where Uncle Bob's version of of duplication comes in though, because this is this also falls into the realm of accidental duplication. Right? Right? Where yeah, you might have generated the same functionality, but it might need to change for different reasons at different times. So, I mean, you might on the surface think that it's duplication only to find out it's it really wasn't. Right. I mean, th- this one's hard too, though, because so they say the clear overall vision. Yeah, of course you want somebody that has the big picture in mind and they need to be able to share that in a way that, that people can absorb it. Right. But then the next thing they say is you have a strong project leader. Okay, I agree with that too. But 
you still have issues to where are we talking about a project leader that's leading everybody? You know what I mean? Like if you have a team of 50 developers, that project leader over all 50 unlikely. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, we've all read the documentation about how, uh, it, it was Spotify does a lot of their, their work. Right. And they sort of have silos where, where they work in little like task forces. And my guess is they probably duplicate things, but they're, they're cross-functional teams. They, they work on one component and, and I'm sure that they do communicate across those teams, but you know, the chances of not duplicating anything is going to be really tough. But as long as you encapsulate and isolate those, those particular modules pretty well, then you sort of save yourself from a little bit of this. Yeah. I'll include, uh, I'll include some di- a link to the, the Spotify article. Cause it was quite interesting. I heard they kind of got away from doing that. I knew that they used to take it to an extreme level where like even like different parts of like the page or web page would be owned by different groups. Yep. And uh, I think that they got away from that in recent years. Interesting. But I haven't, I haven't seen an official source on that, but I'd love to see one. If you drop it in the comment, uh, comments, then you could win a book for it. I yeah. mean, this is also from like five years ago. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, I'll, I'll include a link to it. So the next big one and in, in, in our personal lives, we struggle with this one, the division of responsibilities. And this one's a hard one, right? Like this is basically, you know, slicing up your teams to where people are working on very specific things or, or whatever and, and figuring out where to draw those lines. Wait, this is a problem in your personal life? Well, in, in our personal working lives, like, oh, professional like life. professional life. Yeah. Our personal like, professional lives. <laughs> you're, you're, you're at home and you're like, okay, honey, there's yeah. going to be a division of like who takes out the trash. I'm doing the Tuesdays. Dishes. That's right. But, but yeah, I mean, this is. So the clear overall vision, the project lead and the division of responsibilities, I think all of those things together will definitely help, but I don't know that they solve the problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a hard, because, well, this goes back to the example that Joe gave, or I think it was Joe with the, uh, what was that first one? The um, imposed duplication, right? Oh yeah. You know, you have this division of responsibility. So you might be thinking like, oh, well, I can't change the sequel, you know, now that he's given me this awesome example that I can like relate to, <laughs> like, you know, I can't, I don't have the, I don't have the, uh, you know, the guy, the, the approval to change it on the, on the sequel layer, but I can do this change in C sharp. So I'm going to do what I need to do in C sharp, even though it's very similar to what's being done there. Well, I think, I think one of the things that was really cool here too, is like that social security thing, right? <laughs> My guess is all those applications that were written at 10,000, their core feature had nothing to do with social security numbers. Probably. It, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, but every person in the system in the government has a social security number. It was not core to the application. And so it was an afterthought. And yeah. that's one of the things that they bring up here is that's one of the problems is when you have something that's tertiary to the, to the actual core of an application, those are the things that a lot of times get duplicated because it's like, Oh, well, we need to do something for this here. Let's, let's hook that up. Right. And, and move on. Yeah. Like was that validation just 10,000 regular expressions that were, you know, all very similar that just validated, Hey, this thing is a social security number because they were like, Oh, well, we have these SSNs. We need to do something. Or, or maybe one of them was a regular expression and another one was a method. Or a function, right? Whatever. Well, here's another view on it, though. 
the the opposite thing, the, a different way to approach it. But like, well, wouldn't it be great if back then when they're working on these ten thousand apps, there was a nice package manager and they could just say like uh, npm install uh, SSN verification. But then this is the kind of thing that people complain about all the times where like people talk about the left pad library or the center library or, or whatever, like these little libraries that do like one little tiny thing. And people are always saying, oh, man, like, why did you install a dependency for this? It's a, right. it's a potential security vulnerability when you could have just done it with a one liner. Well, that's what we just described with the social security number. And so we didn't want that because now we've got this duplicated logic all over this place in this tertiary function. That is super frustrating what you just said. And, and that one, that one definitely hits home for me is just, man, I, when people can't win. Yeah. You really can't because if you, if you write that regex yourself, then you're potentially missing something, right? If, oh yeah. If you use the third party dependency, then, or, or, or even if it's an internal dependency, you'll get complaints that why is there only one class in this assembly? And it's like, man, that's, that's not the view to take. The view to take is, does this thing do one thing and is it testable and does it do it well? And I can validate it and I can verify it and it's the same everywhere. If that's the case, then that's all you need. You don't have to have 50 files to make an assembly. It doesn't matter. What is the purpose of that assembly? I mean, here's an example that we've talked about in the past, which is that you don't want to write, which is uh, an email validator. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, because if if you were to try to write that in whatever your language is, right, like there's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's to write it to where it's like 99% of the time, right. It's several, several lines long. Like I'm looking at it right now on the Perl and Ruby version of of that regular expression is 82 lines long. God. That's no, insane. Thanks. And, and that, that's the, you know, yeah. I mean, and it's not like it's better in other languages either. Right. Yeah. yeah. I just don't care 82 lines much if your email is correct or not. So, but the point is, the point is, is like, uh, you know, when you said like, Hey, now you might, if you take the time to write that regular expression, you might miss something. Well, it's quite possible that you might Probably miss will. something. So you're better off, you know, using SS, SSN.js, you know, and yep. up until like, you know, moment SSN comes out and then you're better to pick that one instead. <laughs> but, or, yeah. But in, in, in all seriousness and honesty, like <clears throat> assuming that you have something that bundles your things properly, then you shouldn't be worried about the size of the assembly, right? You should be worrying about the functionality it provides and the, well, and the level of confidence. True. Wait, no, hold on. No, hold on. It depends on the type of development you're doing. If you're doing like IOT development, for example, uh, you oh, care okay. about the size of the, okay. this, the assembly. No, no, no. When right? I said size, I, I meant how many lines are in it. I didn't mean how big it gets. I mean, okay. if there's a single file in it, you shouldn't care. Is it providing you the functionality you need? So, yes, in fairness, yeah, I wasn't talking about like okay. megabytes. Sorry, I, was, I misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's to me, at least personally, professionally, what I have seen is typically when you have smaller assemblies, they're usually written well or at least better. And they are usually more testable because it's got a small surface area. And we just talked about this too they typically change less often. Almost never, right? Like the thing works. Why touch it? Yeah. You know, 
Unless the social security numbers now just got expanded to an extra digit. Okay. Somebody's got to go change that one that, you know, 5 million people in the world are using. And guess what? All 5 million of those people now get the benefits of the additional social security verification. So yeah, uh, I'm going to let that rest, but it, it does drive me crazy. So the, the next part that they say on how to solve the problem and this one, this one's hard is open and frequent communication between developers. And, and our buddy John, who was on episodes 100 and 101, he always said this the best. And, and I love this communication doesn't scale. Right. How do you, how do you propagate that stuff to where it soaks in? It, tell me this. If you've written a long letter or a wiki, how many people out of a hundred do you think read it? One. None. And it was probably you because you authored it. If you write yeah. something that's a two-liner, people will read it, but can they get enough context out of it? Like, that's no. the problem. How do you communicate properly? If you have a meeting with 100 people in it, how many people are looking at their phones versus actually paying attention to what you're saying? Probably not that many. This is the hardest part. I think it's the most important. But Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I guess the key stuff. here is it has to be, you know, if you're going to say open and frequent communication between the developers – then it has to be small or otherwise, otherwise, unless you're assuming like online things like forums or Slack or wikis. But to your point, you have to assume that a lot of information is going to be missed, right? If you're, if you know, things that are written into forums, for example, or wikis, Slack, 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 especially, you know, is going to be gone. But, uh, yeah, you know, not everybody's going to catch every little thing that was written there. I mean, how many yeah. times has somebody sent Joe an email like, hey, how do we do the login? And he's like, hey, here's this wiki page. Like, I know you've probably yeah. replied, like, seriously, 50 times with a link to a wiki page. And and it's the same oh. thing that everybody's gotten in an email before. Don't, yeah, don't so even exhausting. ask me about that. Go look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you about where the destination, the deployment destinations go. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I meant to ask you about that earlier. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. I, so, I do like the idea of having like a project librarian or a steward or a, even a subcommittee. No, really? 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 Guess what, what job I'm just giving you. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I know. Well, at least you only have one person that has to bear the misery of the whole community. Who wants to take that though? Like this, this appointed project librarian, like I even put after it. Who's taking that job willingly? Like that's well, crazy. I, so, I mean, like uh, not just librarian, but like who's the person that, you know, you ask or maybe a subcommittee where you say like, hey, I've got to do a thing. Do I, have we done something similar? Wouldn't it be nice if you had like an email distro or one person asking you kind of funnel you to the right person? It's like, hey, why don't you go talk to Betty? She did something like this last week. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I just don't know who wants to be that. Like I know no. all three of us have at one point or another have been the people that got PRs pushed to them all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and it's awful. like, eventually you're like, dude, don't send me another PR. I don't yeah. want to see this. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like going along with this point though, the, the next one that they had here was to have, have a central place for in your source for utility routines and scripts. And I'm like, what? No. Like this goes against everything that we've ever talked about before. Like, like, cause, because when I read this and I don't know, like you guys tell me if this was your thought too, but, um, like having a, 
a, a helper's library or a utilities library. Like that was immediately what I thought of like, yeah. Oh, well, what would you name this central place? Like, you know, it's going to be like a dumping ground, it's- all the scripts. <laughs> and so then I was like, man, I really don't like this idea. And yet they're like, I, I actually, I circled this part in the book and wrote gross by it. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't like it. I can't argue that it's not somewhat useful, but I don't like it. Is there a way to make people go to the wiki? It's like whenever you fire up Visual Studio, you have like a little, you know, one of those like tips things. It's like, hey, did you know? And here's a snippet from the wiki. That's oh, kind man. of a nice idea. That just, that just made that. me think of an amazing idea. Like, I wonder if you could control the start page to go to your own. Oh, I'm sure you can. Uh-oh, no. To the Google. Oh, oh man. Yeah, how nice would be Visual Studio. Every time you pop it up, it like just opens the tab of the wiki area. It's like, you can close it if you want, but <laughs> you should. But, but we're going to crash Visual Studio. Yeah. Bad karma. So the next one, too, and, and I kind of like this one. Uh, I don't know how reasonable it is, but the continually explore other people's source code and be a part of PRs, right, and code reviews. Oh, man. So – I don't want to see my own garbage. Well, that's the thing, right? Like the problem is depending on the size of the team, how realistic is this? So, so one way you could do it if you're using something like, uh, Azure DevOps or probably even GitHub is you can just go look at the latest commits to a repo, right? And then just yep. look through them and see what's happening. But I have two problems with that. One is first, just, I mean, it's, it's amount of time that you got to do it. But two is, and I'm sure you guys have seen this. It's really hard to get the context out of what's been done just by looking at a PR because usually it's, you know, the one or two lines that are highlighted that changed and a bunch of other stuff just not shown on the page. Now, granted, it'll give you an idea of what's going on. So you'll probably see quickly if there was any duplication, but it, it is an effort on the developer's part. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, so just a quick backup here for a moment. You can create a custom start page for your Visual Studio environment. And there's a couple extensions for it, or a couple of plugins for it. But Microsoft also has a document on how you can create your own custom. Can you force it using source control? Yeah. That's, that's the real question, right? Well, like, that's that's different. I so, don't know that it would be source control because it's not going to be part of uh, – like you're not necessarily up. opening a repo. Right. You, you would probably want like something through Active Directory that would like – push that setting down yeah yeah and we got to trick trick your coworkers to do it's like set up a lunch and learn you tell them you're going to work through a code kata <laughs> step one open your visual studio settings <laughs> i'll include a couple links here i like that step two paste the wiki in and hit save i'm watching all of you <laughs> that's awesome you will read what i write so the next one, we're back to the tips. So we made it through tip 11 on last episode. This tip number 12 is <laughs> make it easy to reuse. So, and this is so true. If you don't make it easy, people won't reuse it. It's that simple. And it's that true. Yeah. And then that is one nice thing about having the dumping ground is like, at least people know where to look. Uh, until it gets too big and then it gets lost in yeah, there man, too. Yeah, man, I don't agree with that. Yeah. yeah, exactly what Alan just said, man. That dumping ground will become like literally the dump, right? Like, like that's saying that like, hey, it's easy to find uh, the bumper you need for your 1970 Chevrolet in the junkyard because yeah. they're all in the junkyard, but it's still going to be like, well, 
find the right one. Right. Like, yeah, man. It, it's just, now it's going to become a mess. Yeah. It's the humble package uh, pattern. <laughs> Put all your, your crap in one package and keeps it out of the other places. Man, I hate that. Oh, yeah, I, I don't love it, but I just don't know a better way. I don't want to be like, oh, wait, we're, which just simply had the one thing that I need. And like now you're adding like references to uh, random assemblies because that's where some little bit of functionality is that you need. Like that stinks unless you have tons of assemblies, in which case every little one has some little thing in it, which is also a pain to find. But how is that any different than using NPM or NuGet? I think as long as you have a package manager that or a package management system that is halfway useful, then you're fine. If you send me a PR with a single package and .NET project with a social security number foundation in it, I, I'm, I'm going to be tempted to hit no. Like, come on. I'm not sending it to the you. The key though. is he's only going to be tempted <laughs> to hit no. He's going right. to hit yes. Yeah, that's that's right. I probably will. I probably will because I'm, I just, I'm so tired of fighting. But no, the, the reality is though, is that if you have, Okay, I mean, that's an extreme example, right? Let's admit that the, the social security thing that you're talking about, that's an extreme example. The but reality... things like that, like left pad, like what he was talking about in NPM, the one that broke all the interwebs. The, the reality, but the point is, is that if you have a, a package or a library, whatever your language of choice happens to refer to them as, that, you know, is single purpose, right? Even if you have two of them that are single purpose, it's going to be easier to you know, deal with that. Then if you have, you know, functions that are spread all over the place that might be doing the same thing. Like I would rather have, I'm just saying, I would rather have that problem. I would too. I'd rather have the, I chose my assembly versus yes. I have this utility package that has 9 billion things in it. Exactly. That I don't care about and I'll never use, but they're forced on me because they're all in this dumping ground. Now I want an amen. <laughs> yeah, amen, <That's> brother. <laughs> <laughs> Just do the regex. Just do the regex. <laughs> Man, somebody cut his mic. I don't know how we can do this. <laughs> Hold on, I'm I'll, I'll prove that PR. <laughs> Um, and, and on this, this make it easy to reuse. Basically, what they said is, if you duplicate something, you're likely going to have further problems further down the line, which is true, very true. All right, so with that, uh, we will have some links to resources we like. Obviously, we're going to have a link to the programmatic programmer. Oh, wait, did I say that wrong? It hurts my head. Oh, the pragmatic <laughs> programmer. I Ever since Joe said it that way, now I can't not say it that way. It's my favorite way to say this book if you haven't caught on. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Yeah, come on. You know, recently, I was told that I have the worst tips of the week. <laughs> I was curious if you saw that in the Slack. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's funny that the, the person's name it just happens to be Tippet as well. <laughs> oh, Michael. That's nice. Yeah. Oh, that was so uh-huh. hilarious. So I thought I was going to like come up with like the super best tip and like blow you guys away. And uh, no, it's not going to happen. I, I came out here. You guys have like seven freaking tips certain in here. And I've got nothing again. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've been called oh, out. Oh man, it was it was so amazing. <laughs> I wish I could remember exactly how the call out went, but yeah, it was yeah. I mean, like, it was, go it was ahead. Spot on. It was dead on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I have the worst tips. That should be my tip. But I did I did come up with a, another bad one. Sorry, <laughs> tip it. 
<laughs> Sorry, Michael. Uh, this time, I do want to talk about it, though. I do think this is actually not a terrible idea. But uh, if you really want to know something, if you really want to learn something, then I wanted to encourage you to uh, look at multiple medium learning. So what I mean by that is just multiple different sources. So like if you're uh, wanting to know Kafka, I mentioned Kafka earlier, like go to QIT, listen to every Kafka podcast. There's quite a lot of them actually. Go on YouTube, watch all the, the Kafka uh, videos, check out the courses, check out the books, try writing about it, try doing a side project. I think by attacking it by the multiple angles and like every different angle that you can think about really does a lot to kind of fill out the whole spectrum. So if it's something that you really want to care about, you really care about, like you say you really want to know React, then don't just sit down there with a good, like a, a guide and a, an editor. I mean, that's good too. But round out everything, you'll you'll learn different things from different mediums and the ways that people express things on those mediums. And so if you really, truly want to know something deeply, then I think that a multimedia approach is the way to do it. I like that. Take I had, that. I had to go back and find it. So like the one thing that he said that called out was like when you brought up Moment.js as a tip. <laughs> yeah, that's a tip for nobody. So so hey, that should be that should be your tip is that if you want to join in on this comedy gold, you should join our Slack if you haven't already. So uh you can find uh all the information you need to join our Slack at www.codingblocks.net slash slack yes and so i have two tips and one of them i actually had to use last night because i accidentally blew away our previous show notes so in in google drive there's a feature that is really sweet if you have a file on there and you do something like what i did where you thought that you were editing the new show notes but you actually were blowing away the old ones you can exit out of that file right click it and you'll have the option in there to say, look at the versions. So you right click and you say, where is it? Uh, why is it not there? You don't exit the file. You do it from the file menu in the file. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You do it from the file menu in the file. I think you could also do it on, on the other one. I'm pretty sure I did it that way. Hold on. Let me see. 105. Right click. Uh, whatever. Uh, apparent. Oh, no, no, no. That's what it is. Right click, say view details. Uh, where is it? Something like that. And over on the right hand side, you'll actually have an activity bar and you can click on the one that you want to open it to. So yes, you can do it there. And then also in the file menu, when you are inside the thing, you can tell it to go back to a previous version. So you can go to version history and you can choose the, you say, see version history and you can choose it and you can actually restore that file back to what it is and it'll blow away the changes that you had. So like what I did last night is before I did that, I duplicated the thing and then I, then I went back into it and I said, all right, now restore this one back to it. So we didn't lose the old stuff. So yeah, that's really nice being able to use multiple versions of the file. So you have a running history there. Uh, but that's also something to keep in mind. Like if you ever put something important in the document and you didn't really want it there, then you probably want to delete that file because it's going to have the version history information there. Um, and then the next one I thought was really cool. So the other day I had, I had asked outlaws like, Hey man, what's the name of that tool that, that we had mentioned to where you can actually create flow charts from code. And, and he told me the website and I don't remember what it was, but. Well. 
What was it? Plant you plant out. Plant you out. That was one of my tips the week a while back. Oh, it was a good one. It, one of your few. And <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, man. It's getting ugly now. <laughs> I did get the tip from somebody else. Oh, like, uh, gloves Bozzoli. are off. Oh, that's yeah, so thanks, Bozzoli, from the best tip apparently I ever gave. Oh, man. But so while I was asking him, I was also Googling, you know, create a flowchart from code. And I came across this really cool JavaScript library. It's called flowchart.js. And if you, there's, I'll have a link in the show notes, uh, but it's flowchart.js.org. And they've, they've got a JavaScript library that you can use in your own applications. So let's say that you wanted people to be able to write flow charts and, and you wanted to create an application that allowed them to do so. You can embed this library and it will generate flow charts for you. So really cool. If you don't want to just use a tool, but you would like to leverage that functionality, you can do that yourself. And it, it offers things like uh, regular flow charts, colored objects, lines, all kinds of, you know, decision trees and whatnot. So really cool little thing. It's free, you know, go play with it. Have fun. Wait a second here. Here's the real tip. What is js.org? That's a good question, right? Yeah, hit it. Check it out. It's awesome. Did Joe just come up with an awesome tip? Yeah, eh. this this is mine retroactively. <laughs> so <laughs> js.org offers free web spaces for JavaScript developers to host their projects. So That's you can go cool. to like codingbox.js.org. You got to hook it up. You got to sign up in your GitHub page. I haven't done this yet, but you can bet I'm going to be doing it. So we can have codingblocks.js.org. This um, fork.js, or no, what? It's fork.js. Flowchart.js that you uh, you are mentioning here reminds me of gitgraph.js. <clears throat> so with gitgraph.js, you can, like you've ever seen those drawings of like Git subway lanes, the Git subway lanes for like a Git graph, mm-hmm. right? And like I've actually used this multiple times. If you're if you ever seen like, hey, how did Outlaw create that cool Git graph where he was like, you know, showing some example, right? That I'll use as like an image in documentation or something, or in like a wiki article or something like that. Uh, you know, Git Git Graph JS was what I used to do it. It's the downside to doing those though that I found is like it can be like looking at the the comment that not the comments the the examples that they give for flowchart JS is it is very tedious. You're like, oh, I want to inject something in here. And you're like, okay, let me go find the one specific place where I want to do it. And it's move not some that stuff bad. Around. It's not that bad. Like I actually messed with it because I thought the same thing, but you basically define your variables that are each block and you uh-huh. can just do an arrow to it and you just put it in the middle of something oh, else. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's very terse. Yes. But but it's super cool. Like I, I'll put it this way: if you ever do many diagrams or, or create flowcharts and stuff, man, it takes so much time dragging those connectors between things and getting the text in there and it all looking like it, it takes so much time. And I could do this in seriously a tenth of the time is dragging things out and typing it in and all that kind of garbage. So and it's easier to keep keep it all together. So. And you could I source this thing. You could commit your flowchart JS code stuff, <coughs> and you could have versions of your flowcharts as you watch it change over time, right? That's kind of yep. cool. I would say the same thing for GitGraph.js, but then that'd be weird. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, then you'd have a GitGraph of your GitGraph. Yeah, that would, that, that would be a little bit rough. Yeah. That'd be 
interesting. Things went like inception there. <laughs> they did. All right. So uh, this was a, an interesting one that, you know how we've joked about like Apple hiding all kinds of functionality if you're like, oh, like just press the option button as you like open up that menu or right click on that thing and yeah. like, you get a whole bunch of extra functionality. I never knew this, but apparently Microsoft does it too. So uh, I heard this one on Security Now and I thought like, oh, you know what? I'll save this. So from from Security Now 709, uh they mentioned that if you are in File Explorer and you shift right click on a file, you get an additional option as well as some others. But the one that was like really of interest here was copy as path. So if you ever needed the path to that file as a string on your clipboard that you could just easily use, this is how you can do it. That just saved me a few minutes a day. Honestly, I'm not, I'm not even lying. I know, nice. right? <laughs> That's why I was like, oh my God, I never knew that was there. Like, cause in Windows, like, I would have never thought to like, I, that's an Apple thing. Like, Apple has taught yeah. us, hey, we're going to hide functionality from There's you. a modifier key for everything. Yes. You better <laughs> press around some random keys to see what might be showing up. But Microsoft has never taught us that. We're not trained for that, right? Like, right. we're used to like really verbose menus that have like a billion different options. And you just, it's what you see is what you get. <laughs> but apparently, this thing has been around since at least Windows 7, right? So it's been around for a little bit. That's really, I don't nice. know if you heard when they're, you know, Windows 7 is being sunset. So it's been around for a bit. Hey, this can, feels kind of new to me. Yeah, can, can, we, seven. can we be honest? Like Windows Seven was like the first time that I was like, "Man, they're 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 making an effort to to be pretty and and make yeah. things look nice, right?" It was good. Yeah, and then and then there was then there was Vista, and it was just a pile. No, no, no. Vista was before Seven. Oh, yeah, Vista. Was, it was before. the that's right. It was the yeah. very unstable version of what Seven was would end up being. Yeah. Okay. Eight. That's eight. Right was the next one which was like hey let's just have one giant start screen yeah let's be creative and see how that works <laughs> yeah yeah all right well with that we hope you've uh, enjoyed this additional deep dive into the pragmatic approach and the evils of duplication uh with that Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. Be sure to leave us a review. You can find some helpful links by visiting www.codingblocks.net slash review. And while you're up there at codingblocks.net, check out our show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And hit us up on Twitter. We're very funny. Facebook, too. And, of course, the Slack is where it's at. Yes. Joe gets all kind of friendly comments on there. Join the Slack just so you can tell Joe how much you like his tips. I think he's going to need some pick-me-ups after this. Mm -hmm.